You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles to the Scripture reading this afternoon. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. Psalm 119 is written as an acrostic poem. And each of the stanzas in this psalm begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet and then following through the alphabet. So as we come to verse 9, we're at the second stanza. So we're at the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is yeah. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not Neglect your word. Love the congregation, Christ Jesus. This afternoon we're continuing our mini-series of sermons on worship. Last couple Sundays we looked at corporate worship, the worship of the church. Last Sunday we looked at family worship. And today we'll conclude with looking at the practice of personal worship. And next week we'll return to the Catechism once again and continue with Lord's Day 36. But today we're continuing to build out of Lord's Day 35 with discussing worship and personal worship. Well, according to Martin Luther, three things are necessary for growth in the Christian life. He detected these three things out of the Bible. The first one is prayer. The second is study of and reflection upon God's Word. And the last thing he said is necessary for growth in the Christian life is suffering. Well, the last item is something that's out of our hands. But the first two items we can indeed do something about. Prayer and the careful reading of God's Word form the center, form the heart, of what we call personal worship. Sometimes it goes by other names, like personal devotions, private worship, or even perhaps quiet time. Regardless of what we call it, the concept of an individual believer spending time before God and His Word is crucial for the believer's spiritual growth. Which is not to say that it's easy It's not easy for us, and it's never been easy for believers in any era. Take the example of William Bridge, what he wrote about this subject. William Bridge was the pastor of a church, a Reformed church in Rotterdam in the 17th century. This was an English-speaking Reformed church in Rotterdam. And he wrote about two things that make personal worship hard. Quote, the one is because men are not used to it. And another 
is because they do not love God enough. Everything is hard at first. Writing is hard at first. Painting is hard at first. Personal worship will be hard at first too. There's nothing hard to those that are willing. There is nothing hard to those that love. Love makes all things easy. That's what William Bridge said. Indeed, love is the root of all our worship. And that includes the worship that we do individually on our own. So if our personal worship is minimal or non-existent, we need to examine our hearts. Do we really love God if we spend no time or virtually no time on our relationship with Him? How can you love someone and ignore Him? And brothers and sisters, we have so many reasons to love God. And the greatest of all, of course, is the fact that He gave His only begotten Son. 1 John 4, 9 reminds us, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. We love God because He first loved us, according to 1 John 4, 19. When we reflect deeply on the goodness of the good news, when we gaze at the excellencies and the glories of Christ our Savior, how can we not worship? And so individual, personal worship should be a natural outcome of the love for God that lives in a believer's heart. But yet, we have the, the remnants of the old nature lingering, and these Remnants sometimes erect obstacles to the worship that should be a natural outcome. And so what does God do? He gives us His Word. In this age, we need the guidance of His Word to remind us of what should be natural. In the age to come, we will do all our worship entirely by nature. But in this age, we still need the Word to prick us and to prod us. That being the case, let's turn to our Bibles and see what God has to say about personal worship this afternoon. Now last week I mentioned that there is no direct command in the Bible regarding family worship. And then we went to the Scriptures and we made a case for it. Now, some of you found this to be confusing and contradictory. So let me explain. For both family worship and personal worship, there are indeed no passages in the Bible which directly say, you shall do family worship. If you look it up in a concordance, the word family worship isn't even in the Bible. There's also no passage in the Bible which says, you shall do personal worship. But there is enough circumstantial evidence in the Bible to make a case that it is indeed God's will for us that we do these things. There is enough evidence in the Scriptures for us to say that it is assumed that God's people must worship Him in their families and individually. 
And as we'll see, when it comes to individual worship, personal worship, we have the examples of believers in both the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, the first time that we read about any kind of personal worship is in Genesis 12 with Abram. We're told that Abram called on the name of Yahweh. He was a man of prayer. Undoubtedly, believers before and after Abraham did likewise, but this is the first time that we explicitly read about it. Abraham spoke to God in prayer, and God also spoke with Abraham. There was a back and forth in their relationship. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the same thing that goes on in in corporate worship and family worship. Later on, we see the same thing with Abraham's son, Isaac. And yet further on in the first five books of the Bible, we find the same pattern with somebody like Moses. Then there's David. David was a man after God's own heart. And so we would expect to see the same with him, and indeed we do. Please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Many of the Psalms are examples of individual prayers or songs to God. And this one is like that too. In this one, we get a glimpse, just a small glimpse, into David's personal worship. He's praying to God each morning. He lays his requests before God, his supplications, and he waits for God's answer. He knows that God hears his voice. And we see a similar picture of David in Psalm 55, and we could go through any number of Psalms. To see that. In Psalm 1, Psalm 1 is uh, an, an anonymous psalm. We don't know who wrote it. But in that psalm, we see the man who is blessed or blessed. He delights in God's word and he meditates on it day and night. He's constantly reminding himself of what God says. And in what we read from Psalm 119 a few moments ago, the psalmist also meditates on God's Word and he asserts that he will not neglect it. He's not going to forget about it and leave it to the side. He's going to meditate on it. And when he says that he will meditate, that simply means that he's going to focus on it. He's going to occupy himself with God's Word. God's Word will have His attention and His concern. He's going to be carefully reflecting on it and considering it. There are many more such examples in the Old Testament, but just to take one more, consider what the Bible says in Daniel 6, verse 10 about Daniel. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel 2 was in the regular habit of daily prayer. Now, a couple of points there about what we've seen from this very brief survey from the Old Testament. First, did you notice that prayer is the most prominent feature of Old Testament personal worship? 
It's true. We read about the Bible in Psalm 1 and Psalm 119 and elsewhere. But really not a lot. For instance, with Daniel, where we were just speaking about him, we don't read about Daniel reading the Bible. Why is that? Well, with Abraham and Isaac, there was nothing or there was very little of the Bible written down. So we wouldn't expect to see it with them necessarily. But by the time of Daniel, there were a good number of Bible books already written. But he didn't read them in his house because they would have been hard to come by. Generally, there were very few scrolls. And the scrolls that did exist were usually kept in the temple. Believers didn't keep scrolls in their houses so that they could read the Bible the way that we might do today. If people were to work with God's Word, they generally had to work with what they had memorized. That's the first point. The second point we need to recognize is that all that we read about these believers in the Old Testament points us ahead to the perfect student of God's Word, to the perfect student of prayer, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to consider what we read in the New Testament about our subject. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Matthew 6. We'll read there from verses 5 to 8. Our Lord Jesus says here, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Lord Jesus expects that His followers are going to pray personally and individually. He tells them to keep their personal worship private and not to stand on the street corners while they're doing it. Instead, he says, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And when he says, your room, that's a reference to the storeroom in homes of his day. Usually they were the only rooms that would have a door. What he means is, is clear enough and we can carry it into our own time. Do your personal worship privately, just between you and God. Certainly not for show and certainly not for the praise of other people. As we go through the Gospels, we see the Lord Jesus himself on several occasions doing exactly this. In Luke 5.16 we read, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Luke 6, we find Him spending an entire night on a mountain in prayer. Of course, all this was connected to the purpose for which He had come. It was connected to His 
preparations for his final suffering and his death. But it was also part of his obedience for us. He was the second Adam who did what the first Adam had failed to do. To live in perfect communion with God. And then his example here also shapes our thankfulness for such a Savior. Because we love Him and we are thankful to Him for restoring a relationship with God for us. We'll follow His obedience. His apostles certainly did that. Acts 10, verse 9, we read about the Apostle Peter. We find him praying by himself on the roof of Simon in Joppa. In the epistles, we hear the apostles commanding believers to be fervent in prayer, to be busy with God's Word in their personal lives as well as in the the life of the, the church as a whole. And from all this evidence, we can indeed conclude that there is an airtight case that believers are not only to worship God in their churches and in their families, if they have them, but also individually and personally. Well, if that's the case, then how should we do this? Well, like with family worship, it doesn't have to be anything complicated. There is room for flexibility and creativity. The two basic elements of personal worship are simply Bible reading, and what goes along with that, of course, is reflection and meditation, and prayer. These two elements reflect the relationship between God and the believer. We speak to God in prayer, and God speaks to us through His Word. Now, singing can also be done with our personal worship. Something to consider. And I think it can be particularly suggested for those among us who don't have families with which to do family worship. God loves it when His people sing. Even if they're they're singing by themselves, God absolutely loves it. And Satan hates it. Singing psalms and hymns can be a powerful tool in our spiritual warfare against the enemy. And it can also be a helpful way of laying up more of God's Word in our hearts. When it comes to prayer, again, there's lots of room for flexibility in how we structure our prayers. Christ gives us the Lord's Prayer to teach us how to pray. And as we move on in the Catechism, we're going to look at that again. Many believers find the acronym ACTS A-C-T-S, to be a helpful way of structuring their personal prayers, working along the same lines as what Christ taught. And perhaps you've heard of this before, ACTS, A-C-T-S. The A stands for adoration, expressing praise for who God is and what He's done, His mighty deeds in our lives and in the lives of others, past and present. Most of all, expressing adoration for what God has done in Christ. The C stands for confession. We confess our sins to the Lord as He taught us to do. 
We seek His forgiveness in Christ. T stands for thanksgiving. Appropriate word for this weekend. We give thanks for all the ways in which God cares for us and the way He cares for others too. And finally, the S stands for supplication. Here we make intercessions for ourselves and for others and ask for God's help. Of course, we also ask for God's help as we open His Word and as we read the Bible. So acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And again, there are other ways to structure our personal prayers, but this can be a helpful way of doing it. Two other things that might be considered with personal prayer. Many of us, we we pray extemporaneously. We pray off the top of our head. And when we do that, our prayers can be deficient in variety, in order, and also in definiteness. Well, thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit makes our prayers perfect. It's one of the things He does. But that doesn't mean that we have the luxury of deliberately becoming lazy or sloppy in our prayers, just telling ourselves that we don't have to make any effort because the Spirit will make it all perfect anyway. It can be helpful to give careful thought to our prayers, our personal prayers, and even to write them out. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it can very much improve our personal prayers. You don't have to do it all the time, but do it once in a while. Watch how it helps and improves your prayers. Many believers have have found that helpful. And again, it's not a, a command, it's a suggestion. Another suggestion is to consider using a a prayer journal. Have a little notebook in which you make notes of things that you've prayed about. People for whom you've made supplications and intercessions and so on. Make notes when you see God answering your prayers. A prayer journal can be an enormous source of comfort as you look back and you see all the times that God has shown His kind fatherly heart to you and to others can encourage you to continue going to Him and bringing your burdens to Him. That's prayer. When it comes to Bible reading, you could say a lot about that. I've placed a handout about this in your mailboxes. And for those of you who are visiting us this afternoon, there should also be a number of copies of that handout on the information desk as you go out of the church at the left-hand side. And as you look at that handout, you'll see from that too that there are a lot of different ways that you can go about your personal daily Bible reading. The important thing is that you do it, and you do it with the right attitude. Remember, it's not an academic exercise. It's about a relationship with your God. As the Puritan Thomas Watson said, Read the Scripture not only as a history, but as a love letter sent to you from God. A love letter is something that you read over and over again and you delight in it. Read the Bible in the same way. 
Read it. Delight in it. Apply it personally to yourself. And above all, when you read the Scriptures, take the opportunity to reflect and to carefully think about what you read. Using the Bible and your reflections on it, preach the Gospel to yourself. Preach the Gospel of Christ to yourself every day. When you confess your sins in prayer, afterwards remind yourselves of the the wonderful Gospel promises as you turn to the Word. Promises like the one we find in Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Wonderful. Reflect on God's grace and mercy towards you in Christ. The one who is the center around which the whole Bible turns. See, also when it comes to our personal worship, we should evermore fix our eyes on Jesus. A few moments ago, I mentioned the, the practice of Scripture memorization in connection with the Old Testament. In Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist says that he has hidden God's Word in his heart. In Colossians 3.16, the Apostle Paul encourages the Colossian believers to let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. Scripture memorization is one way that this takes place. It also equips us for the spiritual warfare in which we find ourselves. Its effects go far beyond the time in which we deliberately focus on our personal worship. Again, consider your Savior. When Christ was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, He didn't have a Bible at hand, but He had the Word hidden in His heart. And He could do battle with it as a result. And so Paul also tells believers in Ephesians 6, to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's one of the ways, according to Ephesians 6, that we take our stand against the devil's schemes. Studying and memorizing Scripture equips us for our daily battle against the devil, the world, and our own flesh. Somebody once said, the Bible is nuclear firepower for spiritual warfare. Believe it. It is. After reading and meditating on Scripture, the natural response is to again turn to God in prayer and ask Him for His help. Ask Him for His help in remembering His Word, believing His Gospel, living out of faith. All our personal worship has to be bathed in prayer. Last week we noted that one of the challenges to family worship is busyness. It's no different with personal worship. It's something that has to be a priority for us. And if we are genuinely up to our eyeballs and alligators, so to speak, we need to be creative. We need to find ways to make time for personal devotions. Perhaps we need to get up 15 minutes earlier in the morning. Perhaps we need to use part of our lunch break or our coffee break or whatever. 
doesn't matter when. Just do it. And do it regularly. Brothers and sisters, we need to make time each day for this. And there's a reason why. Because we need structure and discipline in our spiritual lives. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, we find the Apostle Paul telling the Corinthian church that everything has to be done decently and in good order. And that's something that could be applied not only to the life of the church as a corporate whole, but also to our lives individually. Because if we don't have decency and good order, if we don't have structure and discipline when it comes to things like this, our natural tendency, don't kid yourself, is to backslide. And that happens with every form of worship. With our corporate worship, there is a saying that oncers become nuncers. And if not they themselves, then quite often with the next generation. Church is optional. Go if you feel like it. But it's not necessary for the Christian life. So the thinking goes. And the same holds true with family worship. If it's done rarely, it's quite likely that rarely will become never. And so with personal worship as well. And I say this to myself as well as to all of us. We need, loved ones, to discipline ourselves, to be serious about our service to God and our relationship with Him. It's not something that we can be flippant about. It's not something we can be casual about. We need to be impressed with God. We need to take Him seriously. I mean, do we have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ or not? Do we believe that it's concrete and real? Imagine having a relationship with your husband or wife where you rarely speak together, where you never or seldom express your love for one another, where you show little interest in one another, An outsider would look at that and say, that's a dysfunctional relationship. So brothers and sisters, let's aim for higher in our relationship with God. And you know, there was a time when the people of Israel didn't aim high. God described His people in unflattering terms. He said, That his people were like an unfaithful wife. A wife who gladly gave herself in the most intimate ways to others, but who didn't give a care about her real husband. In Hosea 4.6, the Lord said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And you know, it wasn't so much that they had forgotten the facts about God, It was that they were no longer knowing God intimately, having a friendly spiritual relationship with Him, living with Him in communion. They turned aside from His Word, the means through which they would find that meaningful communion with their God. The relationship had become dysfunctional. 
And to prevent this from happening to us, God gives us His Word in passages like 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Colossians 1.10, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And again, this is not so much knowledge in the sense of knowing all the facts, although there is something of that there, but in the sense of knowing intimately, knowing and loving, knowing in a relationship. Brothers and sisters, there is no neutral ground in your spiritual life. There is no place, there is no level ground where you can stand idly, neither growing nor backsliding. You are either growing in grace and knowledge or you are backsliding. Today, let me encourage you to be among those who are growing. And one of the ways in which you will grow is through the discipline of regular, daily, personal worship. May God help us in that. Let's now pray. Heavenly Lord God, Your Word is a lamp for our feet and a lantern illuminating our path. Through Your Word, we've come to know the glorious Gospel of Christ our Savior. We thank You for that Gospel. We love You for having loved us first. Teach us and lead us in our service of thankfulness and love to You. Help us in our personal worship, each one of us. Help us to be disciplined and regular in reading Your Word and calling on Your name. We pray, Father, that You would use our personal worship to bring us to a richer knowledge of Yourself, to a deeper communion with You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.